Our Bible app is the number one media hub for progressive Christians. And right now, we have books published by Barclay Press. Barclay Press offers Quaker books and titles on justice, compassion, spirituality, Christian outreach, and Christian living. Find titles like Praying for Justice, Electionary of Christian Concern by R. Anderson Campbell and Steve Sherwood, or even Shalom, the Shalom of God by Howard Macy, or Just Moms, Conveying Justice in an Unjust World by Melanie Springer Mock. Find these titles and more in the library section of our Bible app. You are listening to Lord Have Mercy, a podcast about God, sex, and the Bible. I'm your host, Crystal Cheatham. Last week, our Bible app was one of the many organizations participating in the Queer Christian Fellowship Conference, where I got to sit down with Carla Sofia, La Machuda, in front of a live audience. Carla Sofia fled Nicaragua for fear of her own life once violence against the LGBTQ plus community broke out. She has since found asylum in Argentina and is committed to supporting other queer Christians while also calling out the injustices permitted by her home country. And now, Carla Sofia. Yeah, so welcome to uh, the Lord have the recording of Lord Have Mercy. Woo-hoo. So exciting. Um, I'm Crystal Cheatham, and I've been doing the podcast for a couple years now, off and on, and it has become the official, unofficial podcast of the Our Bible app. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, recently I invited uh, Carla Sophia to... Um, actually write a devotional in Spanish for the app. So it's so cool that I get to interview her today and find out more about what brings her to, I think, this conference. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you, have, you have to learn Spanish if you want to read what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get Ricky to, Ricky to translate it for me. It'll be so good. Um, so I hear that you have a podcast too. I do have a podcast. It's called Hybrida, like hybrid, uh, por la machuda. And we basically, yes, we have conversations about LGBTIQ issues uh, with uh, Latin people, basically, in our language, Spanish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you nervous? Right now? Yes. A little bit, yes. Yeah, me too. Usually when I do the <laughs> podcast, it's just like me in my house usually with a hoodie on and probably no pants, like talking to strangers <laughs> from across the world. So. It sounds like a good weekend for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so usually on uh, Lord Have Mercy, we talk about God, sex, and the Bible. And I think these, import- these issues are really important because they kind of frame our LGBTQ experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't have gone through this metamorphosis as a queer person without having to think really hard about sexuality, think really hard about what you think uh, the Bible is and if you actually believe it and who you think God is to you and in your community. Um, I think my first question I want to ask you is just about your your family and your upbringing. Um, How how religious were your parents before you came out? 
actually it's pretty interesting because my mother is like a super evangelical woman. She was like the principal of a really Christian school, like actually the school that my, my, my church had this school, so she was the principal. So I was raised like the daughter of the, of the principal school, so she was really religious. And my dad, actually not my dad, uh, due to yeah, really hard times that he had back in the 80s, he decided that he was going to be an atheist. So he stopped wow. believing in God. Yeah, so I was raised in this uh, family where I uh, went with my mother to church, but my father stayed at home. And uh, so, but before coming out, I actually was more scared to tell my father because he was uh, an ex-military military guy so, than my mother. Uh, but of course, I didn't have to tell them because somebody else did. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, good. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's okay. Yes, that was not fun at all. <laughs> and well, it was hard. Uh, basically, I had this relationship with this girl uh, for two years, and she decided to to tell her parents that. But not that she was a lesbian. It was like that. Mom, help me because I'm sinning. So I need you to help me uh, with my life, and I need to confess my sin. So I was in a youth retreat, and basically they put me aside. I was really far away from my house, and they called my parents, basically. So that's how they find out. Wait, what? So she came out to her parents while you were away? Yes. It was like 10 p.m., Yes, in a retreat really far away from my house. <laughs> and so your parents called you? No, they called my parents. Yeah. And, but not that particular day, the next day. So when I came home, I was super sad because basically they told me that I was not going to see my girlfriend at that time never again. Uh, so we have a word for that in Spanish. It's cabanga, when you're, super, you're heartbroken and you're super sad. So... Uh, my mother was telling me what's going on. Why are you? Why are you like, like this? It's because of Andrea. That's my ex name. And I was like, what? How do you know? <laughs> and, and she said, first of all, you're my daughter, and second of all, your parents called me. So, yes. Um, basically, yeah. She was, of course, not okay with it. She basically said that you can go through this. I'm going to help you with this. You will, you will meet a nice guy. And of course, she will never put a foot in this house. Never again. So, yeah, beautiful. <laughs> How was your faith affected by what you were getting from your mother and your, and your father? At that particular point, I actually thought that I was in this sinning. It was, it's weird uh, because I was having a hard time uh, Mentally, because yes, I was in this relationship for two years, but of course, every time we kiss or every time we, uh, we held hands, uh, we start crying because we were sinning and it was like super hard. So when she confessed uh, her sin, I actually told her that I was not going to, to because she went uh, to me first and she told me that I'm going to tell my parents about this and I was like, you know that if you tell them, you are going to, you, you will not see me again. So she's like, no, but uh, if it is God's will, we will eventually uh, encounter cross paths again. Of course, 
that didn't happen. So <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes. Um, Sorry, I forgot. To how did you? How did you? How did? How did you manage your your faith at that time? So at that time, I did thought that it was a sin. So I tried to change for that whole year. I did try to change. Like I forced myself to actually like guys from my church. And if you, if that you, work. no, that doesn't work. And and they were not that good looking too. So. <laughs> So I didn't like any of them, but I really try and I forced myself to do it. So at one point, like 10 months late, at, like I tried for 10 months and then I was still in the university and one of my classmates, this didn't even happen at church, one of my classmates told me like, what's going on? I see you like super sad all the time. You are not like this. You have like a really good sense of humor. What's going on? And I was the first time that I actually came out to somebody that I actually like, pron yes, pronounce mm -hmm. the, the, the word that I might be, might be a lesbian. So she was like, it makes sense, but are you happy right now? And I know because I cannot be a lesbian, like mm -hmm. it's a sin. <laughs> and she just asked me such a simple question, like uh, imagine that you are 10 years from now and you are married and that you are laying in your bed and you have your husband right next to you. Are you happy? And it just click, like, no, I'm not happy, <laughs> and yeah. I will never be happy in that scenario. So that that day, I actually started that process, and at one point, I thought that my sexuality and my faith will never merge. Like, mm. well, I could not reconcile both of my identities. So I tried to be an atheist. Mm -hmm. I really try. <laughs> I even. I, I even tried reading, I did read Richard Duncan's books and everything I tried, mm. but I just, it didn't feel right. Like, I really love church, I really love God. And so, at, yeah, that was like my journey until I decided that I needed to, to uh, do a research for myself. Not learn from that God that somebody told me about, like my preacher told me about, or even my mother told me about, is that I needed to have like a personal encounter. And so I, that was like a one year or two years journey when I basically found out about, uh, at that point, the Gay Christian Network and TRP, the Reformation Project, and I started reading books and I finally reconciled. I understood that my sexuality and me being not straight yeah, it was not going to interfere with mm -hmm. my relationship with God. Yeah. What I think is so amazing about your journey is that you went from this person who was struggling with that delicate mm -hmm. balance, I think, that we all you know, are trying to, to, mm -hmm. to understand whether we're straight or gay. We're still trying to figure out if God loves us the way that we are. Mm -hmm. um, and you took that and like you ran with it. So <laughs> how did you go from that moment in your life where you were so broken that year trying to distance yourself from everything you knew spiritually mm -hmm. to uh, J4 and La Mechuda and um, finding asylum in Argentina? Well, it was quite a journey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The thing is that when you are LGBTIQ and you're a Christian, it's so easy to say to somebody else, like, God loves you, 
but it's so hard to say like God, yeah, God loves me. Mm. Like, yeah, she, he, they really love me. Yeah. It's like super hard. So when I realized that, yes, she loves me, it was like uh, mind blowing. So I decided that the Jesus that I read about the gospel was not the one that I was taught about in my church. And I was not going to let them do any more harm to other, uh, other LGBTIQ uh, girl or boy or non-binary person. So it was like, I need to do something. Mm-hmm. And since there's, there's are no resources in Spanish in regards to these topics, and I decided that I will not wait until somebody else starts doing it, so I will start doing it myself. You and me both. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so... I believe in the church, I believe in the body of Christ, and I believe in the Jesus that I read at the Bible. Wow. So I guess that I'm more a reformer than a revolutionary, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, when I talked to you before, you told me about this, this one moment um, that went viral. Can you share that with everybody? Uh, one of my most uh, listened episodes of my podcast is one that is called um, Mama Cristiana, Hija Lesbiana. Uh, yes, Christian mother with a lesbian daughter. And it was super, it went viral, yes, actually, because it, it was a really honest conversation. It was like just me and my mother talking about her journey and my journey. And it's been like, when I recorded that podcast, it's been like eight years since, uh, like I said, I didn't came out, but I came out with it then. So uh, it was Super meaningful because even though she knew at that point that yes, I was not straight, um, but I, st- I was still a Christian, it was the first time that we actually talked about uh, what it meant for, for her to, to have a lesbian daughter and a gay son because actually my older brother is also gay. Wow. So she was completely honest and she actually said to me that the first thought that crossed her mind was that God was punishing her uh, because she as a principal in that particular school actually lots of kids uh, approached her and tell, told her that they thought that they were gay or lesbian or bi, and she tried to, to tell them that they could change, that that, that that was not an option. So she thought that since she did that with lots of kids, God was punishing her with a lesbian and a gay son. So mm-hmm. She said that on the air, I mean on a podcast? Yes, she did that. And then you decided to release it to the world. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because that was her journey. At this point, she understand that uh, it was actually a blessing because uh, now she understands that. And she actually says this at the podcast that I asked her, what would you say to those kids right now? And she says that I will say that I'm sorry and that they are who they are and that they don't need to change. So, yes, she also says that, you know, yeah. it's not all bad. <laughs> what was the, the uh, political uh, e- feeling in the country at that time? At that time? Well, uh, since April, uh, the government decided that it was a great idea to start killing people just by carrying on their flags or just a sign. So that's why I was confused with the viral moment because I also released another video when I was talking a pharmacy for more than three hours because I was in a protest and just people start following us with stunts and sticks and guns. So I have to, yeah, to 
basically stay in a pharmacy just trying to save my life. That's crazy. I can't mm -hmm. imagine that actually happening in America, but I guess it could happen anywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, it basically happened in Rwanda, but mm -hmm. over something a bit different. But riots basically uh, evolved and people were killed and mm -hmm. the government sat back. Um, but in your situation, it, it happened was... from one day to another. I'm not saying that it was not a repressive government before, but they didn't never had been killed. They didn't kill people in the plain daylight. I was in more in two months. They killed more than 500 people wow. with shots in their heads, in their necks, uh, their chest. And in one week, that was like the worst week of my life, one week in April, more than 100 people were killed just in one week. So every day you, wake, uh, you woke up with the news of how many people were killed that particular day. So, yes. At one point, I actually thought that it, it was a good idea to continue doing videos about the LGBTIQ inclusion efforts. Uh, but then I realized our identities don't take a break. Mm. So there were a lot of LGBTIQ people there in Nicaragua that were suffering oppression uh, by the government, but also fighting oppressions because they were LGBTIQ or but because they were also women. So uh, I decided that I was, will still be releasing my videos and uh, my blog posts. And people start writing me that, thank you, because in this particular moment, I actually need this more than ever. Mm -hmm. I don't think many people would create a secret society and then <laughs> post it on the internet. <laughs> How terrified were you that you know you would be discovered? Uh, it was hard because I knew that I needed to put my face on it because I know that a story uh, impacts much more than just uh, like a text or maybe even theology. It's like, so I knew that I needed to put my face in it. So I don't use my real name on my fan page. I have a nickname yeah. that is La Mechuda. And I have this group called J4, uh, based on John 4, uh, my favorite chapter in the Bible, when Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman and he goes against moral systems, uh, religious systems, uh, even political systems. So I create this group for LGBTIQ people in my country. Uh, but because we, we couldn't meet in person because it was extremely dangerous. Yeah. So I decided that I needed to put a face on it even if it's so dangerous to <laughs> do. Uh, but it was important for me to humanize us mm -hmm. as a group. Isn't Carla Sofia so rad? She is such a powerful woman. During this entire interview, I think the only thing I really regretted was not being able to speak to her in Spanish. But alas, I am an American and I only speak one language. It's still there. Anyway. Our Bible app needs your help. We need sponsors. And we give the best treatment to our sponsors. If you would like to sponsor Lord Have Mercy or Our Bible app, your message could appear in the app, in our weekly newsletter, on the website, and of course here on Lord Have Mercy. Please reach out to me, Crystal Cheatham, at crystal at ourbibleapp.com for more information. And now, back to the show. So something that we talked about yesterday was this, I mean, like you're here in America and you're telling us your story and you are telling us like how difficult it was for you, but what, what can we do? What do you mm -hmm. want us to do with this information? 
actually, I will say that share it because it's so hard for me to, to know that people act, act surprised that people have been killing my country when this has been going on for almost a year. And, I, and this, if the government start, decided that to start killing people just because they are protesting and this will happen in France or I don't know, even here, people will, in the whole world will know about this. But since we're in Nicaragua, a Central American country, people just don't care. They don't care how many people have been killed or how many people have to leave the country because it's dangerous. Just in Costa Rica, Costa Rica, uh, only in Costa Rica, more than uh, it will be 1,500 people are searching for asylum, only in Costa Rica. So it's hard, I will say that, share the information, learn about what is happening in Nicaragua. There's a hashtag that is like the most complete hashtag in Twitter is SOS Nicaragua. If you, put, if you put that hashtag in Twitter, you will learn everything about what's going on. Um, so I will say yes, learn about what's happening, share the information, and yeah. Yeah, we as a country kind of have a way of trying to help and then just fucking it up. <laughs> 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 so that's, it's good to know that um, we can actually do that. I mean, you grow up in, in the Christian church and like there's so much mission work uh, and we just end up being the colonizer, right? Absolutely. Yes, actually it was pretty funny because when I was 19, I used to work at American Airlines back in the, at the airport. I worked in passenger service. And it was so funny because in July, in August, you could see a whole plane just fill out with mission trips, missionary groups, like, like five or six uh, short-term short -term missionary groups just for... Yeah in one day, like, and it will last like a month. So the amount of white folk that goes to my country to save us is, yes. It's crazy. It's crazy, <laughs> yes. Oh, so gross. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, it's good to know that there is a way that we can actually help, and it sounds like the first way is, is educating ourselves. Exactly, yes. Actually, it's just a difference. It's, you can help, but the thing is that work with us. Don't think that you are our savior, like, don't try, the thing is not, it's not what you do, but your intentions, how you do it, why you do it. It's like reach out to leaders, learn about them, learn what they're doing, uh, organizations that are working uh, towards human rights, but like I said, work with us. It's not like you have all the answers and we are the poor uh, brown-skinned people that needs to be saved. Yeah. Um, how hard was the decision to leave your life and your family and head on over to Argentina? Uh, actually, it was like, a, I didn't have the time to actually think about that because it was from one day to another. It got extremely dangerous because they knew where I lived and where my girlfriend lived. Well, we were living in the same house, so. <laughs> living in sin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and having fun, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so it got extremely dangerous. Uh, so we had to leave from one day to another because they sent, uh, they sent a message to, to the woman that was renting our house, renting us our house. So it was like a 24 hour decision. And I, choose, I chose Argentina because I lived there from 2014 to 2016, I studied there. So I already knew the people, the city, and I had, I had friends there. Um, and I know it's a really 
good country to actually immigrate. Their, their policies are pretty good. You can work since day one. Mm -hmm. If you're applying for political asylum, since day one, you, you are able to work. So I made that decision, and of course, it will, I had to sell everything. I sold my car, uh, um, my clothes. I, I sold everything. Basically, I, I had to start from scratch in Argentina. Yeah, well, I'm glad you did it, and I'm glad that you're still here. <laughs> yes. And doing the thing. Yes, thanks to that, I'm able to continue doing the work and continue doing the videos and the, blog and the, and the podcast because I'm actually safe there back in Argentina. So, uh, yes, thankfully everything went well. My girlfriend first went to Costa Rica, but it's an extremely expensive country, <laughs> really expensive country. Mm -hmm. Uh, so then she she meet, met me back in Argentina. Um, so that is a great jump off point for my next question. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad you are all here to witness this. But usually when we when I talk to a guest about sex, again, it's from the confines of a computer and it just feels like girlfriends catching up and hopefully you feel comfortable with them. Let's talk about myself, my sex life in front yeah. of these people. Yeah. So my favorite question to ask is, when did you start having the kind of sex that you wanted to have? Because that's not, I mean, like, that's not something that, that queer people generally get mm -hmm. because we kind of miss out on, like, well, at least when I was a kid, I definitely messed at, missed out on the learning how to date thing when I was a kid mm -hmm. and, like, making um, mistakes and learning about what my body wanted and all that mm -hmm. stuff because I was a very, very closeted lesbian. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, like, you, you, you forget that the point of sex is for pleasure. Of course. You know, yes. so, like, how did you, when did you start having the kind of sex that you wanted to have? Okay, I, I need to give a little bit of a, back, a background to mm -hmm. answer that. Actually, uh, I knew that I, I was not straight uh, since I was like 10 years old, even a little bit uh, less, like eight years old. Uh, but of course, uh, I was supposed to like boys, so I kissed a few boys, but mm. it, I didn't like it. It was like, why people <laughs> love kissing? It's, like awful, it's like so hairy. It's not fun. Mm. Like too much tongue. What is going on in there? So it's super. It was super weird. Uh, so then, of course, I became a youth leader. And then this missionary uh, arrived to Nicaragua. They are. They were from Costa Rica, and they had this daughter, right? So yes, you know where is this going, right? So <laughs> so they had this daughter and. She was new into the country, so her mother told me to become friends with her because she was really alone uh, in a new country. So I took that job really personal. <laughs> so we became really close, and like we started spending every day together. And at one point, after one year, we were in a pajama party, and one thing led to another, and we started kissing. And it was like it, it clicked. It was just it clicked me. It was like wow. This means to kissing, be kissing someone and really enjoying it. It was like mind blowing for me. And basically, from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m., we did everything that felt natural. <laughs> it's like it's like my first kiss with a woman was also my first time. It was the oh same day, God. the same night. Yes, it was just happened. So when somebody tells me that. Uh, Liking the same sex is unnatural. I say, no, it came really natural to me. 
like really natural to me. <laughs> it's weird because, to be honest, I never watch porn, lesbian porn, so I, it's not that I have an idea what I'm supposed to be doing. I, we just did it, and it was really fun. And if you ask me about my first time, I really enjoyed my first time from day one. So. There's like a stereotype about Latin lovers just being like so perfect and amazing. You're like, and like, it's supposed to be an over the top stereotype and you're like blowing that out of the water. So congratulations. Thank you. And um, thank you, Andrea. <laughs> if you're out there listening to this, but uh, hopefully you feel like we're giving you credit. Um, how, how did that experience change the way you saw God or, and the Bible? Well, in that particular point, after that first time, everything was awesome while we were, while we were doing it. But the next day, of course, shame arrived and guilt arrived. So we start feeling basically like shit. So it was not fi found. But certainly we continued doing it <laughs> the next day and the next day, <laughs> even though we end up crying. Uh, so at that particular point, I did uh, feel like I was dirty doing it hmm. um, so yes it was uh, it was not fun uh, what was going on in my mind it was fun what's going on in my body but no what was going on in my mind yeah it, I was full of shame and guilt yeah yeah and that kind of shame and guilt just doesn't go away right mm, no <laughs> um, so many of us are struggling with internalized internalized homophobia mm -hmm. and I mean do you still carry that with you no, not right now, but it was, it was funny because uh, I remember that it was been like two years and we, we were under that relationship. It was, it was toxic because, yes, we love each other, but at the same time we hated that we were in love. So we were dating, and it was pretty funny because I remember that we were watching a video about uh, this now out-of-the-closet lesbian song writer, uh, Christian, mm -hmm. so I think he's the one that actually is at the conference. Oh, really? Yeah. Jennifer Knapp. Jennifer Knapp, yes. Oh, Jennifer Knapp, yeah. Yes, Jennifer Knapp. So this is so funny because I, I remember watching a video about her with uh, my girlfriend. It was so funny. We've been having sex life for over two years, and we were watching this video and was like, hmm, she's crazy. She actually thinks that being gay is okay, or it was... It's, it was weird because we were actually in a relationship, a same-sex relationship, mm -hmm. but we were watching this video, uh, a YouTube video, and we were actually saying that that she was totally crazy to say that being lesbian or being gay or being bi, it was okay. So You were judging her. <laughs> I was super judging her, yes. So at that point, uh, it was weird because I, w I hated to be called uh, a lesbian like I was in a same-sex relationship, but I, I wasn't a lesbian. Like, no, I, I, was, I wasn't one. So and mm. to this point, I know that my girlfriend at that time continues to say that she's straight. She has always been straight, but she got confused those years. So oh. that was a pretty big confusion. <laughs> yeah, there's yes. no undoing that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. how, how do you know that it's okay to be gay? How do you know that God, like, smiles down on you? Uh, because of, I wouldn't like to believe of a God that wanted me to suffer the way that I suffered when I thought that I was sinning. It was awful. Uh, I cannot put into words uh, the way that I felt 
in a particular time, and I thought that if this is Christianity, if this is the abundant life that Jesus promised me, I, I don't want it because this is not what I want in my life. So uh, when I started reading about uh, progressive theology, uh, it was like the first steps. But at the end, I don't need a theology to actually tell me that God loves me because I see it in the gospel, and also I see it in the life of all the LGBTIQ people that I know, that they are Christians, that they live their spirituality, uh, and they are nice people that are just free and happy, and God cannot be against that. Basically. Yeah. Do you believe that the Bible affirms your mm -hmm. lifestyle? I can't believe I said that. I'm so sorry. Do you my, believe that the Bible... Gay yeah, your agenda to be gay. <laughs> Actually, yes. Actually, to be honest, I'm completely comfortable with the Bible. And, and yes. Actually, at one point, when I decided that I needed to be an atheist because I thought that I would not be of those uh, Christians that pick and choose uh, Bible verses. So I actually thought that Yes, I needed to be an atheist because the Bible clearly says that uh, being gay or lesbian is a sin. But so certainly uh, reading about uh, progressive theology and books like Matthew Vines or Brownson already helped me a lot. Uh, but at the end, like I said, it's all about lives and stories mm. and personal stories. Yeah, know? yeah. Mm -hmm. And the Bible is just full of stories. Yes. I really enjoy the Bible. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy it. I mean, I'm, I'm coming back around to it. Mm -hmm. um, because uh, the two people that I work with, Ricky and Teresa, are so good at reminding me of stories that happen in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, did that really happen? You know, and I go back mm -hmm. and I review it. And it's like, it's, it's becoming alive again for me um, in a way that it was alive when I was a, when I was a child, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and imagination really helps to uh, kind of digest all of that. So mm -hmm. it's dope. Yeah. I want to open up the floor and uh, invite you guys to ask a question or two um, of Carla Sofia. Um, but hey. first, <laughs> you can and, do in Spanish. Uh, we're just going to use this mic. So you're going to have to like come up and, uh, well, because I can't, I can't come to you. Um, but my question, while you guys are thinking about your questions, thank you, um, is what has been your favorite thing about the QCF conference? Uh, the people. Yes. Yeah? Yes, that was course. so fast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, it's really interesting that I, I, when I see uh, Latinx people here, it's like I'm, I, maybe I don't, I don't even know their names or it's the first time that I'm seeing them, but... It just feels like I'm seeing family, so it's awesome to just see uh, Latinx representation here. Just to, when I hear Spanish, like in the background, I, I, it's like I know to speak to that person. I need it. I need to speak to that person. So uh, I actually enjoy and appreciate the fact that uh, they gave me a space so I could I can talk about Central America and the efforts that I'm doing there. So and so I really appreciate the fact that people are approaching me and ask me about. Uh, the effort, yeah, that we're doing there. So, yeah, the people. <laughs> That's dope. I would agree. I'm having a lot of fun getting to meet new people. Yes. Um, does anybody else have a question? Yeah, you can pick it up. So I don't know if you said this, and I'm just assuming, but I guess Argentina has more affirming politics. So how do you think that they got there 
um, mm -hmm. as far as the process for being more open and welcoming to the LGBT community. Thank you. Yes, uh, being in Argentina is like, yes, it's being in another, being a completely other world uh, compared to Nicaragua. They were actually the first country in Latin America that actually had marriage equality. So they are like a really progressive country. Uh, but the thing is that in this particular case uh, about being uh, LGBTIQ and Christian, they do have a LGBTIQ Christian group, but the country itself basically hate the church. They, they really hate the church. Mm. It's um, because they're having conversations about abortion and, and women's rights. And of course, uh, the Catholic Church back there is opposing every, every new law. So they are like hating the church right now. Uh, they are a really political country, a really political one. Actually, I was part of the Pride Parade back in October. They do it in October, and they take it really seriously. They are not just having fun. They have like a purpose, a political purpose. Uh, each sign has a meaning, and they have like a, uh, the main uh, goal that they want to achieve, and that's the slogan of the the march. So they are a really political country, and I think that's the difference. They they understand that uh, politics are not something that it's uh, just given to the person in power or the, the guys in power or, or institutions, but we all need to engage mm -hmm. in politics. And that mm. it's lacking in, in Nicaragua, in Nicaragua. Uh, and it's not our fault, uh, uh, basically our history and, and the government has taught us that we don't have to care about politics, and and we actually don't have spaces to, at all, we don't have any space where we can actually uh, speak up and propose things or just discuss about different policies, so that's the main issue, yeah. Mm -hmm. hmm. Didn't you tell me that the, the government goes so far as to encourage people to uh, not think politically? Like, inviting people to drink and continue drinking. Yes, Nicaraguans drink a lot, like <laughs> we love alcohol. But it's, it has a, a really negative connotation, not because drinking is bad or something, but because actually the government wants us to drink. Uh, the lower, uh, the alcohol has a really low tax, like the taxes rate are really, really low, so it's really cheap to drink. A beer can cost you 50 cents. Uh, or a whole bottle can cost you like $10, something like that. So it's really cheap. And after the protest started in, back in April, actually they also changed uh, this policy that says that bar needed to close uh, at 2 a.m. and they allowed them to open up until 7 a.m. because they want, they want us to party basically and don't think about what is happening uh, in our country, so yeah. That's disparaging. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> uh, does anybody else have a question for Carla Sofia? Yeah, please come up. Use this mic. Hi there. Um, I was curious to see to uh, hear from you what you see as some of the um, unique challenges to doing this work in Latin America, um, not only in Nicaragua. Um, when you uh, compare it to what experience you have of uh, what it's like in the U.S. Um, what is unique about the work that, uh, the challenges of the work that you're doing? Thank you. 
Yes, it's a completely different scenario. Uh, I talk about this at my, at my workshop, but basically, uh, right now, Central America is one of the most evangelical regions in the whole continent. And this was because of political reasons, basically. Um, liberation theology was emerging back in the 70s, the 80s. So of course, uh, lots of evangelical missionaries arrived to our country telling us that, no, you don't have to care about politics because God loves you and you only have to care about the afterlife and accepting Jesus into your heart. So uh, you don't have to care about the other. Like, uh, So evangelicals back in my country are pretty apolitical because they think that they, they only need to pray. So that's why uh, we end up being such an evangelical population. But the thing is that now in the US, you're starting this type of conversation, but we remained the ones that are still having this all uh, theology, conservative theology, because that's what, that what we learned back in the 70s, the 80s. And until now, actually, uh, we continue seeing new white churches. It's pretty funny because back in Nicaragua, you can see every year, because it's a small country, not every day, but every year, a new church with a white pastor, basically. So you're having conversations that we are not having back in Nicaragua. When I launched my project, when I started doing my videos, it was the first time people were hearing about LGBTIQ Christians, mm. but the first time they have never heard about it. Hmm. Yeah, it feels like um, some of the arguments that we had a couple years ago, you guys are just now having mm -hmm. um, in a very fresh and I'm sure frustrating way. Yes. Um, but there are so many evangelical churches here in the U.S. that are like they they move in like a militaristic way when in in their approach to um, finding new congregants. And I know of like the the Saddleback Church here in the U.S. It is uh, created by Rick Warren, the dude mm -hmm. who wrote Purpose Driven Life. Mm -hmm. Turns out he's a really really bad actor. Um, and yeah, and he is planting these churches, and they're like growing like wildfire. Um, in the in you know in in South America in um, in Africa yes. and it's like why 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 do we have to take that take what's here and like spread it to the rest of the world it's just it's so disgusting yes they have a church in Argentina the Saddleback like, Church yeah I I, I have like uh, it's like ten blocks away from my apartment yes <laughs> yeah and I actually attend once it's is so scary because they actually have a pastor but. The pastor doesn't preach. It's like they just put a, a video of Rick Warren. What? Yes. yes. And this happens in every church, uh, in the, the Germany church, the one in, in Asia, I don't know which country, sorry, uh, and also the one in Argentina. Mm -hmm. the, the pastor doesn't preach. It's like a huge video of Rick Warren. Yes. Wow, we're in dangerous yeah. times, y'all. <laughs> um, before we close up, does anybody else have a question? Yes, thank you. So my question centers around what I, as a very white American person, what can I do to help you further um, your, your mission, your, your cause? Thank you. Uh, that's a great question because, uh, like I said, it's not uh, what you do, but why you do it. So basically, yes, uh, we need all help that we can, but just realize that we are not something that needs to be saved. 
someone that needs to be saved or a group of people that needs to be saved. We are uh, uh, persons that are actually uh, emerging uh, in the Latin American context of leaders that want to start this type of conversations. So reach out to those leaders because they actually need help. Um, there's a lot of efforts all around uh, Latin America. Uh, Libres en Cristo, en El Salvador, Cristianos Inclusivos del Paraguay, uh, my group, J4 and La Mechuda in Nicaragua. So yes, just reach out to leader and ask them uh, how you can help. In my particular case, uh, share about my content. I have also a Patreon page that, uh, of course, uh, I would love to have financial support because at this point I had to start all, all over again in Argentina. So I have this day job that is taking me time to, taking away time for me to actually be creating content. So yes, just reach out to each leader and ask them how you can help. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Our Bible app is also committed to yes. helping to create more Spanish speaking content. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm glad that you're a large part of that right now too. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, where can people find you online? Yes, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram under La Mechuda. La Mechuda actually means uh, the girl with the big hair. Uh, you, know, you cannot see that right now because the weather is not helping my hair to, <laughs> to fully express itself. <laughs> uh, but yes, it's L-A-M-E-C-H-U-D-A. -E -E That's so yeah. dope. Mm -hmm. Thank you for spending this time with us and being so open. No, thank you. And I really appreciate this space. Don't forget to check out our Bible app at ourbibleapp.com, available on iOS and Android devices, and please subscribe. If you want to find out more about me, Crystal Cheatham, you can find me at crystal at ourbibleapp.com or on Twitter at Crystal Cheatham. Okay, bye!